the teams you care about. Mac Jones is good. That's not the question. The question is, is he good enough to win repeatedly in this loaded AFC? The stories that matter to you. If I'm Xander Bogarts, I need three things in order to get over that insulting contract offer. This is your home for New England sports. Jason Tatum, superstar. Book it. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? T-G-I-F. Brady Farkas Show here on a Friday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Short show today up until 6-10. Sox beat the Orioles yesterday. They take on the Yankees this weekend. They enter the play today four and a half back in the final wild card spot. We'll talk about the Red Sox. We'll recap some of what Buster Olney of ESPN told us yesterday. We'll talk about UVM hoops going to Canada, playing here in a couple of hours. And we'll talk about the Patriots and what we saw last night in the preseason. You can get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. That's 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. You can also check us out. Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and my Twitter account always streaming as well. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. Patriots lose last night, 23-21 in the preseason opener. The result obviously doesn't really matter. It's the process that matters, and we'll talk about all of our takeaways here momentarily. But I've got to be honest with you. Preseason football is insanely boring when you don't have one discernible storyline to key in on. Like, I watched it. I watched almost every snap. I've got takeaways. I've got takeaways that are important, but damn. That was tougher to get through than I thought it was going to be. Like, last year, there was so much to watch in preseason. We had Cam versus Mac. I wanted to see how Cam looked. I wanted to see how much Cam played. Then I knew Mac was going to play a lot. And I knew I was going to be invested most of the game last year. In every preseason game, I knew I was going to be invested for a lot of it because I was going to see Cam for a bit, and I was going to see Mac for a lot. Without quarterback controversy, without a rookie quarterback, or without like one like stud high draft pick to follow, there's not a whole lot there in the preseason that keeps you keeps you glued to your seat. You know, I was watching Thornton, I was watching Trey Nixon, but like, hey, like if I'm a Lions fan and Aiden Hutchinson's going to play, I got a reason to watch. If if I am a team that took a wide receiver in the top ten, I got a reason to watch. The Patriots took a guard in the first round, and they don't have any issues at quarterback this year. It was tougher than I was expecting. I kind of thought going into yesterday, like, that's football. I'm just happy football's back. I'm happy the Patriots are back. No big deal. I'll get through it, no problem. No, by midway through the third quarter, it became a real big struggle for me. So I can only imagine how it was for some of you as well. But, uh, I mean, yesterday I got to watch Brian Hoyer and a whole lot of Bailey Zappi. It, it just wasn't as interesting. I've got takeaways. I've got thoughts. But it definitely 
wasn't as interesting as I was expecting it to be. But it was a Patriots game. It was football. There was things to take away from it. So play me the football music, people. Thank you. Oh, every time we hear it, I get jacked up. Every time we hear it, I get jacked up. Takeaway number one from yesterday's preseason loss for the Patriots, the Pats' wide receiver room remains crowded. It remains crowded. I told you one of the things that I wanted to watch last night was the extra wide receivers. And they all did something to show that they could play. Christian Wilkerson, eight catches, 99 yards. Trey Nixon, four catches, 81 yards. Little Jordan Humphrey, six catches, 62 yards, and a touchdown. And then there was Tyquan Thornton, who didn't play as much as those guys did, but he made an impact. He scored a touchdown, and he showed his overall ability. Pass. In block, of course, down to Hoyer. Bouncing right. Rolling, rolling, throw to the end zone. Pop on Thornton. Touchdown, Patriots. Yeah, they grabbed his shoulder. They grabbed his jersey. Listen, the Patriots have some options at wide receiver, and I love the idea of them having those options because every football team needs depth. We know that there's going to be attrition over the course of an NFL season. The more depth you have, the better off you are. And the Patriots now have a lot of options at wide receiver. The real question for Bill Belichick and company is how many wide receivers do you want on the game day roster? And then how many can you potentially hide on the practice squad? And what I'm getting at is this. I don't think the Patriots need Nelson Aguilar. I don't believe they need him. I think that they could run with Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, Tyquan Thornton, Devontae Parker, and then one of these extra guys on game day, right? I think you need five active wide receivers on game day. Bourne, Parker, Myers, Thornton, that's four. If you give me one of Wilkerson, Nixon, or Humphrey, I think the Patriots would be okay with that five. I don't think they need Nelson Aguilar. I would look to trade him. The question is, if you try to put the other two extra guys, the two that I haven't chosen, if you try to put them on the practice squad, are you going to lose them? Because if you think you can hold them, like let's just say on game day, the Patriots go Bourne, Myers, Thornton, Parker, those four. And then let's say they go Trey Nixon. That's five. If you think that you can keep Christian Wilkerson and Jordan Humphrey on the practice squad and have that depth there in case someone gets hurt. If you think those extra two can stick it out on the practice squad without getting sucked up by somebody at that point, I try to trade Nelson Aguilar. If you think you can get those two through to your practice squad, I would try to trade Aguilar tomorrow to a wide receiver needy team. I shed some money. I get rid of a player that I don't necessarily need. I open up more opportunities for Tyquan Thornton, who's a vertical player in the same way that Aguilar is. If you think you can keep everybody stashed, then Aguilar, to me, I'm trying to get him gone. If you cannot, if you don't think that you can get guys through to the practice squad, then you're going to be forced to keep Aguilar. Because I can't get rid of Aguilar and then see that my two practice squad, squad guys get taken, and now I'm left with just five receivers left in the organization. That can't happen. So, I don't think this team needs Aguilar, but you are, it's going to be kind of a, a 
guessing game for Bill Belichick. If you think you can stash, then Aguilar's gone. If you don't think you can, then Aguilar likely has to stay. He likely has to stay. Um, I like what I saw from those wide receivers yesterday. Wilkerson, we've seen him play in the NFL before. Two touchdowns last year against Jacksonville. Trey Nixon did a nice job coming back to the ball on a couple of occasions, a couple of deep passes. Second down and nine, ten. Giants with a blitz and a throw down the right side. Two really good boundary catches by Nixon here. Look at the body control. Body control on the boundary, coming back to the football. He dropped the first pass he was throwing, and after that, four catches over 80 yards. There was stuff to like from Nixon. There was stuff to like from Wilkerson. And LeJordan Humphrey had a touchdown in the fourth quarter, which at the time gave you a lead. And I know that we don't care about the results. The players do. That gave them the lead. That came in crunch time. And that's a player who showed out and had six catches. There was a lot to like. And by the way, you know, Wilkerson did some of his damage against the Giants' best defense, against their a lot of their starters on defense. They're, the wide receiver room is lacking a star, but it has depth. And that depth gets me excited, excited enough that I am willing to trade away Nelson Aguilar if I'm able to. On a side note on the passing game, Patriots threw the ball down the field a lot yesterday. And I don't know if that was just a preseason thing because they wanted to see how pass blocking held up at longer times. They wanted to test out Bailey Zappi and and Hoyer's arm strength. So they want to see different routes deeper down the field from receivers. It could be any or all of that. I don't know why the Pats threw the ball down the field as much as they did. But I hope it's also because it's part of the offense this year. I hope that's the case. I want to see the Patriots go down the field a bit this year. They don't have to throw it, just yuck it up and hope for the best. But in modern NFL, if you throw the ball down the field, good things have a tendency to happen. One, your guys make a play. Two, your guys get penalized against. Illegal contact is a focus of emphasis for officials this year. Pass interference always seems called. If you throw the ball down the field, oftentimes your result yields something positive. I want to see the Patriots take some shots this year. They shouldn't have to methodically go down the field 14 plays, 84 yards in nine and a half minutes. Get a few cheapies. Draw a 40-yard pass interference. Get a over-the-top pass where Tyquan Thornton beats a guy and then makes a guy miss, and all of a sudden it's 80 yards to the house and you score quickly. This league is is built around offense. You've got to be able to spread the field, and that'll open up your run game, and that'll open up your underneath stuff, and that's the stuff the Patriots didn't really do last year. Get down the field, get vertical. They did it yesterday. I want to see them do it more often when the games actually count beginning September 11th against Miami. Let's stick with the wide receivers. Let's focus on Tyquan Thornton a little bit. Second round receiver out of Baylor. We played the touchdown. More than the touchdown, we saw Tyquan Thornton's raw skill set on display. And you could see why yesterday he should be a part of this team's offensive plans this year. So much talk about him redshirting or him just being available on special teams. He needs to play. I don't care if he has 85 catches or not. 
but he needs to be a part of this team's offense. He did a good job gaining separation on the pass that wasn't completed to him from Brian Hoyer. He gained separation on a pass that went to somewhere else on the field and was open. He showed a precise route running, and that is always the question. When you have a guy like Tyquan Thornton, who is a burner, people assume that all they can do is run in a straight line. But Tyquan Thornton showed the ability to get open, to run real routes, to have precise route running, and that's something that Tom Kern of NBC Sports Boston noticed also. What's cool about him, I think, is the fact that he has absurd speed, Bethel Johnson-like speed, but he doesn't use it immediately. He changes pace, as you saw with that little hop-step start that reminds me a lot of Troy Brown. That's how Troy started every single route, a little hop, same with Edelman. And if you can employ that and also accelerate, my crack friend Amina, mm-hmm. at a ridiculous clip so that your 10 yards, and it seems to me like his first 10 yards are just electric. When you get comparisons to Troy Brown, I will take that 100% of the time. That's a guy who made a living off running precise routes. And if Thornton has any of that in his game, that's a positive development. I've said it before. I just said it now. Don't care if Tyquan Thornton catches 85 balls, but get the ball in his hands. Wide receiver screens, tunnel screens, bubble screens, deep balls off play action. Let him use his speed. And if he's got this in his game to just get open on something other than running straight down the field, he's going to add even more to his profile. Tyquan Thorne can help this team. He can help the team at wide receiver. And because of his emergence, it's another reason why I don't think Nelson Aguilar is needed. A few other things that were interesting in this game that were notable at least. Miles Bryant returned a couple of punts and did a nice job. Miles Bryant had, I believe, 46 yards on two different punt returns. If he carves out that role as this team's punt returner, it's going to make it harder for another defensive back to make this roster. We have questions about the defensive backfield. There are a lot of guys there. We're trying to figure out who exactly is going to make this team. I mean, let's just go down the line. Adrian Phillips is a given. Kyle Duggar is a given. Devin McCourty is a given. Terrence Mitchell is a given. Malcolm Butler is a given. That's five. Jabril Peppers, I would say that's a given. That's six. The two rookies who took, Marcus Jones and Jack Jones, that's seven and eight. Uh, John Jones is, uh, is nine. Like, how many do you need? How many wide, how many defensive backs do you need? I just named you nine that I think are locks. Sean Wade's trying to make this team. Miles Bryant's trying to make this team. Josh Bledsoe's trying to make this team. Joe Juan Williams is trying to make this team. I just named you nine. I don't know how many more you need other than that. But if Miles Bryant becomes the punt return guy, that's getting us to 10. And there's not a whole lot of room for anybody else there. So there's something to watch for there. Number four, I didn't really love the defense at the start of the game. The Giants waltzed right down the field and kicked a field goal. Yes, not all the Patriots starters were there. There were more out there than we expected. A lot of the linebackers you'll see regularly, Butler and Mitchell were out there. And the first-team offense for the Giants waltzed down the field. There was a penalty in the red zone that I think took a third and ten to a third and five. That stuff can't happen. That's your... That's a lot of your first-team defense getting just walked all over. Cannot happen. And while I know it's a largely, you know, largely it was the backups, 
I mean, the Giants ran it 33 times for nearly 200 yards. Like, the Pats got to be tougher than that in the trenches. They got run over a lot in the last two years. They've got to find a way to change that. Yes, it's preseason. Yes, it's the backups. The Giants are playing their backups as well, and they ran all over you all night. Uh, couple of bad penalties there from Justin Haran trying to be a backup, kind of do everything offensive lineman at two separate false starts. Um, overall, a couple of awful officiating calls. The taunting call in the end zone on the Giants defensive back was horrific. I know the officials are trying to set a tone for the regular season, but my goodness, I thought that that was horrible. Like, let's leave those in the preseason. The offensive pass interference on Thornton, I didn't agree with. I mean, I know they said he touched his face back, but face mask, but I mean, that didn't seem like there was any, like, it didn't feel like anything that was going to affect the outcome of a play. So I, I didn't love some of that as well. Um, all right. Patriots lose again, 23-21. Those are some of my takeaways there. You can kill the music here. Um, yeah, some of my takeaways there from uh, Pats and Giants. Pats will take on the Panthers coming up next, and then the Vegas Raiders, and then it'll be off to the regular season when they take on the Dolphins. But overall, last night, a lot of good stuff. Receivers especially. Mixon, Wilkers. If you take away one thing from last night's game, take away the play of the receivers. Mixon, Wilkerson, and Thornton, and well, Jordan Humphrey. Those, those are the guys that made an impact yesterday. That, that should be the storyline that you were focusing on. Um, so there was a lot to like. You know what I didn't like? What Bill Belichick had to say after the game. I'll tell you why. That's next on DV. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. There was a lot to like on the field. I did not like how Bill Belichick handled things with the media after the game. And I don't usually get too wrapped up in Bill Belichick's dealings with the media. But last night I had a problem with it. So Matt Patricia and Joe Judge each got a chance to call plays yesterday. Patricia started the game. He called plays when Hoyer was playing. Judge took over, I think, in the middle of the second quarter and got most of the duties with Bailey Zappi. Of course, Bill Belichick was asked after the game about who's going to call the plays in the regular season. Yeah, well, don't worry about that. We'll, we'll work it out. So have you decided? We're going through a process, just like everything else on this team. Now, I'll say this. I do think it's a bad question. I do think asking about the play calling for the regular season, I think that is a bad journalistic question. You know that Bill Belichick's not going to give you an answer. You saw both guys call plays. You know there's two more preseason games to work through. So you knew you weren't going to get an answer. But that said, I am not a fan of Bill Belichick bullying the media or speaking condescendingly to the media. Just start with, just just say, we haven't made a decision yet, we're working through the process, and by the time week one rolls around, we'll have it all settled. That's all Bill Belichick needed to say. He can give the guy a respectful answer without revealing anything. He can be as cryptic as he wants, but to talk down to the guy... Yeah, well, don't worry about that. We'll don't worry about that. Like, no, that's his job to worry about that. I don't love the question, but it's his job to worry about it. We're all worried about it. We're all thinking about it. Like, Bill, you've been coaching for 48 years. 
You know that this is a talking point. You know this guy is just doing his job, and you know we're all wondering it too. So saying don't worry about it and belittling the guy, that to me is very condescending. I, and I, I do have a problem with that. I generally don't care if coaches are straight with the media. I don't care if they talk in circles. I, I, I get they need to play things close to the vest. I get they need to protect company secrets and can't give away the farm. That's more than understandable. But what's not understandable is acting like a total jerk to someone who's just doing his job. Even though it's, I think it's a pointless question, you can answer it in a slightly less degrading way. Just say, hey, it's week one of the preseason. We've got a couple weeks left. We're going through a process. We'll have an answer by week one. Like That's all you need to say. Don't worry about it. Well, yeah, Bill, we're going to worry about it. It's all, Every fan is worrying about it. Every media member is worrying about it. And everybody in that room last night wanted to ask you, I'm sure, the exact same question. I'm sure they all wanted to ask you the exact same question. Uh, let's stick with the Patriots. I wanted to get to Rafael Devers. I think we have to save that for, for Monday, though, sadly. But I think we have a full show on Monday, so we'll have real time to really get into it. Um, I heard James White today. James White was speaking on Good Morning Football on the NFL Network. He was talking about why he retired and talking about playing in New England. I think it was great because when you walk in the door, you see those signs, do your job, put the team first, you know, things like that. And those are things that I've always been about, never been a, a me guy, always been about you know, helping the team win football games, and it was the, the perfect fit for me. I love James White. I think James White's going to be a Patriots Hall of Famer. The Patriots are going to miss James White, but I think I had somebody text me earlier and say, Patriots are going downhill without James White. <laughs> Call me overly optimistic. For like, I think I'm fairly realistic on the Patriots. I've said I think they're between a 7-win and 10-win team, and I think they're closer to 8 or 9. So I don't think I'm just drinking the blue and red Kool-Aid here, but I think the Patriots are going to be largely okay in the running back room. James White is a great player. He is an all-time Patriot. He is a key to the second half of the Patriots dynasty. But the Patriots running back group this year is also the deepest positional group on their team. They should be able to absorb the loss, the loss of a 30-year-old pass-catching back. They should. Patriots running back room is very deep and it's very versatile. Damian Harris is good between the tackles. Ramondre Stevenson, I think, can do everything. He can run between the tackles. He can bounce outside. He can get upfield and he can catch the ball out of the backfield. I think Ty Montgomery has a reasonable chance to carve out a role on this team. The report card on him has been pretty high this training camp. And then you have J.J. Taylor, a guy who... He got banished last year after fumbling against Tampa on the Sunday night Tom Brady return game. I like J.J. Taylor. Diminutive, but runs hard, packs a punch, pretty good hands out of the backfield. Like You got J.J. Taylor, and then you got the two drafted kids, Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris, that can make an impact. Like I just gave you what, six names. Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, Ty Montgomery, J.J. Taylor, Kevin Harris, Pierre Strong. That's six running backs there. I think the Pats are doing okay at that position. They're going to miss James White's leadership. They're going to miss his clutch ability. They're going to miss his dependability. 
But in terms of what he can do on the football field, I think this team is largely set up to cover it. Now, the Pats didn't run the ball well last night. They also didn't run it a lot overall, period. Only ran it 18 times for like 53 yards or something yesterday. But, you know, they got a lot of guys there that can run the ball. A lot of guys that can line up in the backfield. Don't forget that Kendrick Bourne takes balls off the, you know, off the sweeps, reverses. Tyquan Thornton can take balls off the, the reverses. John o. Smith, we're being told, could line up in the backfield. Like, James White's really hard to replace in the locker room, but I think this team is able to is able to overcome it football-wise. Like, they have enough, they physically have enough numbers. Like, right, they have the number of personnel to get get over not having James White. And their players are good enough. Last year, the Patriots moved the ball without James White. Now, they moved it in a different way, but they were able to move the ball. So I think they'll be able to, worst case scenario, I think the Patriots can do what they did last year, 14 plays, 85 yards. I think they can do that. I'm hoping for them to have more quick strike in their offense, but I don't. Th- I think at the very least, they can repeat last year's offensive output, and they didn't need James White a lot of the year. So I love hearing James White talk. I'd love to see James White invited back to anything at one Patriot place. Don't think this team needs him to have the kind of season that they want to have. I think they hit the 7-10 to 10 win mark without, like, without James White just fine. So I don't want to diminish what he's done because he's great. But the texter who told me Pats are going downhill without him, I'm not buying that either. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We come back, Red Sox lineups, Red Sox and Yankees, and then UVM men's basketball tipping off north of the border tonight, about two hours from now. I am jacked up for this. We still got baseball. We got football coming. I know we're three months away from college basketball, but I am jacked up for Catamount Hoops. I'll tell you quickly what I'm looking for. Out of this weekend for UVM, that's next on the Brady Farkas Show and WDEV AM and FM. FM and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox baseball, about four minutes from now. We'll get to the lineups here in about three minutes. But UVM men's basketball, you should know, playing three games this weekend in Canada as part of a little international trip. And it's not official preseason. It is just every couple of summers you're allowed to go internationally and play some games and do some team bonding. UVM is doing that now. So UVM this weekend is in Canada playing a couple of games. Tonight at 8 o'clock, they're going to take on Concordia University. Tomorrow, they're going to take on McGill, which is in Montreal. And then on Sunday, they're going to take on the University of Quebec at Montreal. So, again, not officially preseason. But nonetheless, I am very, very excited about this. Now, Noah Searson of NBC5 TV, he's going to be in Montreal tonight watching these games, watching this game against Concordia. He's going to chat with me on Monday and uh, give us the report of what he saw. But there's going to be a lot to kind of dissect out of this weekend. It's a good recruiting class for UVM, a lot of new faces, both freshmen and transfers. I'd love to see all of them get action. I want to hear how all all of them did. My number one question, who's the starting lineup? That, that my number one question, who's the starting lineup? You're losing Ryan Davis, Ben Shungu, Isaiah Powell, and Justin Missoula. That's four starters gone for UVM. So who starts this year? Finn Sullivan is a lock. He started last year. Nick Fiorello feels like a given, but beyond that, I don't know. Robin Duncan and Aaron Deloney both have cases. They've both been here. 
Dylan Penn is a transfer we talked about earlier this week, the Atlantic Sun Conference Tournament Player of the Year. He's got a case to start. And some of the real young players could have cases. I mean, who starts? That's a question I need to have the answer to. The guys that were here last year who redshirted, Michelle and Diashimie out of Rice, word on the street is he holds his own at UVM. He belongs there. He's not just like the token local guy that gets taken. What does he look like? How about Sam Alamucci out of Canada, who I was told might be the best athlete that UVM's ever had? That's a pretty high praise. Does he get on the floor a bunch this weekend? And then of the of the other newcomers, I mean, TJ Hurley's supposed to be a lights out shooter. They got a guy who's six seven, a guy who's six nine. We have said UVM might not have a whole lot of size. Well, they got some size here on the uh, official recruit list that came in just the other day. The official list of newcomers. So I, I think this is going to be a productive weekend. We're not going to learn anything massive about how good UVM is going to be, but we might get some questions on kind of who's where on the pecking order, and I think that's interesting. The Yankees are 71-41, and 41, the Red Sox 55-58, and 58, four and a half back of the final wild card spot. Domingo Herman against Nathan Evaldi is the pitching matchup. Evaldi 5-3, Herman 1-2. DJ LeMay, who leads off at second. Aaron Judge with his 45 homers and 99 ribbies is in right. Anthony Rizzo's at first. Josh Donaldson is in third. Glaber Torres, the DH. Andrew Benintendi back in Boston is the left fielder. Jose Trevino catches. Isaiah Connor Falefa at short. Aaron Hicks in center. Tommy Pham in left. Devers at third. Bogarts at short. Alex Verdugo in right. J.D. Martinez, the D.H. Eric Hosmer at first. Christian Arroyo at second. Jaron Duran in center. Kevin Pilecki does the catching and bats ninth. Kike Hernandez reportedly going to be back with the team next week if all goes well in his rehab assignments. We'll see you on Monday. Go Sox.